I mean, I am so proud to be an American. Actually, she said I was about to take my own life. That you're not alone and that your brain is lying to you and that people do care about you and you will be missed if you're gone. I lost my daughter. She died by suicide. And I looked at him. I knew he was dead. And then I had to go treat the guy who shot him. And don't give up. Negu. N-E-G-U. Never, ever give up. Thank you for tuning in to this special series of Faith in Your Recovery. We're coming to you live from Lucas Oil Stadium at the Fire Department International Conference. We hope you enjoy these stories from the front lines. Stay tuned and God bless. Faith in your recovery. Our guest today is Jason Sautel. Jason's an author, but he's much more than that. So we're not going to talk just about the book, but we're going to get there. We're going to talk about another book that's important to his life as well, that number one seller of books, my understanding. As a kid, we used to call it the B-I-B-L-E, okay? Jason's a former adrenaline junkie and now a Jesus chaser. Welcome, Jason Sautel. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, man. Such a blessing to be here. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Tell the folks where you hail from. Tell them where you're at in life right now, and then we'll go back and look at the backstory. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I became a firefighter at the age of 18, and that was in 1993, and I worked until 2015 when I got injured I broke my hip and my back and I had to leave the Oakland Fire Department but I had a great 22 year career in Oakland California but I just want to be clear to the listeners just because I'm from California I'm not California so don't hold that against me please all right well you have my promise I can't give you theirs but you have mine okay we'll forgive it today anyway (laughs) yes yeah yeah okay how can those outside outside of the firefighting profession relate to you and relate to your book? You know, what what I can say to anyone who's not in the fire service, we all feel pain. Pain's not good. Pain hurts. If I were to kick you in your shin, it's going to hurt. If you kick me in mine, it's going to hurt. But what our reaction is going to be is a little different. So when people say, well, Jason, I don't have the traumas that you have. I I didn't work at a firehouse where you went on 600 fires per year and 200 people shot per year. And I I didn't hold people who were taking their final breaths as their eternities are being locked in. So I'm I'm not as, my, my pain shouldn't be as big as yours. I shut them down right away and I say, no, pain hurts everyone. What you experience hurts you, what I experience hurt me, and what I like to do is show people where they can find some help and more importantly, some hope to make it through because people will say, did it get all better right away? They say, nah, nah. Don't you wish. Nah, but some days, I'll be honest with you, I just hang on to hope and I know that's gonna get me through. And that's what I try to help those who are not in the fire service understand too. I've always believed that when faith is all you have, faith is all you need, the same with hope. When it's all you've got, it's all you need. It'll take you to the next moment and then there'll be a greater supply. 100, I'm 100% back that statement up. Yeah, let's go back into the early years. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Jason as a teenager, who he was, what he was about, his interests, his dreams, to the best of your recall. Oh yeah, not a problem. So my childhood may not be the one of an average child that became a firefighter in their life. At a young age, my mom walked out on my dad and I because she couldn't put up with his abuse anymore. And her plan was to come back and get me, but she never did. So I was left being raised by a very abusive Vietnam veteran. 
And from an early age, I just kind of became an outcast and I didn't feel any love. And it actually led to me hanging out with the wrong crowds, getting in trouble. And one day a police officer told me, he's like, wow, kid, you've got a lot of good stuff about you and stuff. Have you ever thought about helping people as opposed to not, I wasn't hurting people per se, but you know, I wasn't going down the right path. And so he's like, you might want to talk to these guys in this firehouse. And I talked to the guys at the firehouse and there's a whole other story in there, but I really enjoyed what those guys preached into my life, if you will. And at the age of 18, I went and applied for what was back then was the California Department of Forestry and the uh, captain actually hired me on the spot. And that's how I became a firefighter. So growing up, I had a really rough childhood, grew up under a system of abuse, and it was just really bad. I had a mom who walked out on me, a dad who to this day just can't stand me for whatever reasons. And so it was kind of tough. Then when I got in the fire service, I honestly thought things would get better, but it didn't because everything I responded to as a firefighter weighed me down. And the way I explained it is every scene we go to, we leave a piece of ourselves there, hopefully for the better. We tried to make it better, but we also pick a piece of that scene up. And over time, it starts to weigh you down. And when you don't have anywhere to put those burdens, it, it almost crushed me and almost killed me. And that was my early time as a firefighter. That was a real go-getter, love fighting fire and helping people. But I didn't know how to deal with the traumas of my past or the traumas I was picking up from the job. You know what? What I'm hearing right there is the answer to an earlier question that I asked you. How can people outside firefighting relate to your yeah. story, your book? Yeah. You mentioned the pain earlier. Here you're mentioning those experiences. And we all have those dark moments. Mine's right. different than yours. Yours is different than mine. I don't want to go back to any of mine. I bet you right. don't want to go back to any of yours. No. You know, you talk about your dad having been one of those Vietnam veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, is In your mind, is a part of his personal issues, PTSD from that? You know, there's a lot of struggles because it's like all children. You want to know what are my parents like, you know, and it's, it's, you know, parents don't open up all of themselves, their kids a lot of time, but just knowing that he grew up with polio, he grew up um, just not being in a Christian home. He grew up with just a lot of traumas. I think they just came back to get him. So yeah, PTSD, um, depression, all that. Looking back as a grown man, I can see it now as a child. All I saw was a mean man. I wanted to stay away from, you know, but yeah, he struggled from all that. And he's, and just so we're clear, He's not a monster. He's not a horrible person. We pray for him every day. I just, he's a broken person. I got that. Uh, My dad was a World War II vet. Mm -hmm. He told me his military story twice. He served in Germany and he was over different parts of Europe. Mm Twice he told me his story, he was drunk both times. I wasn't thankful for the booze. Mm. It was the only time I heard his story. That allowed me to understand him better than I was ever going to otherwise. Yeah. To hear some of the pure hell that he went through. Right. And, and, And so there's compassion because now, you know, when my book starts off, and I'm not here to pitch my book, but it goes through the whole story, is the reason I wrote my book is I wanted to let the least qualified people out there know that, you know, all things are possible in Christ, but, you know, I hold that scripture to truly what it means. But where I'm going with that is I'm a high school dropout. I left high school in the 10th grade because I had no support. If I asked for the supplies I needed at home, it wouldn't end well for me. Well, then the teachers would yell at me and say, you need these supplies. And so finally, I was like, I'm done. So at the beginning of my 10th grade year, I dropped out. 
And then I realized, you know what? There's a whole group of people out there that are hurting, that don't feel qualified, that don't feel like they have a voice. And after I became a fireman and I realized I want to be a voice for those who don't have a voice that are yes, struggling. Yes. And I really don't care what people think anymore. I am a high school dropout. I am a West Oakland fireman without a high school diploma, just a GED. And I wrote a book with the largest publisher in the United States, you know? And, and so when I was given that opportunity, I then held it up to God and said, God, how can I use this in a way that's going to honor you? And it's been such a blessing to see how it helps. And if there's anyone listening to this and maybe they're not faith-based, guess what? I love you and I want to get you the help that you deserve too. You know, if you're faith-based, guess what? I love you and I want to get you the help that you need too. And that's what's been really cool about this whole process. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to offer that help, some of that hope. We know it lies in Christ, but between us and him, we can help each other get there. And that, that's what I love. So I love Christians, love, love Christians, but guess what? You guys are okay. So I explain it like this, as a fireman, I'm not overly impressed or a house that's not on fire doesn't need me. So I'm like joking with Christians, your houses are already put out of fire. I go to the houses that are on fire. I'm looking for those ones who are still struggling. And yes. I, I want to show them ultimately where I found healing because I truly like in my book in chapter two, I curse a, a uh, pastor out of my firehouse. We just came back from a double fatality fire. I was hurt and he asked me how I was doing. Oh, I let him know how I was doing. And I called him a coward and I threw him out and I yelled at him. Why? Because I was so broken and hurt. Sure. And I didn't want any of his goodness, you know, and I didn't understand where good truly came from and everything. So I, I love speaking and teaching from that, falling back to the old Jason. So when someone says, you don't understand, I'm like, oh, I don't understand. First off, I want to be very clear. I've never walked in your shoes and I don't want to make my stories more important than yours. But the pain and the sadness and the emptiness you're going through, this is my story and hopefully it resonates with you. Yes, yes. Uh, you talked, I think you said you belong to a department, West Oakland, yes? Yes, City of pretty, Oakland, California. tough part of the community, as I understand. Tell yeah. the folks a little, just for framework. Yeah, well, first off, Oakland, the people there are amazing, beautiful, loving people. But there's so much poverty. And as we know, with, with broken systems come evilness loves to just invade that area. So my years in the late 90s, early 2000s, during the crack wars and the drug wars and everything, the amount of shootings, the amount of robberies, um, just rapes, the horrible things we're witnessing was huge. And then the amount of fires, because our city was built in the late 1800s, but it didn't burn down like San Francisco in 1906. And it was an impoverished community. So West Oakland was an area where like the Black Panther Party came out of and lots of lots of different things started there and stuff. And once I started working there, I gained a different understanding for the beautiful people that I served, but I also saw the level of brokenness was so deeply rooted and we went to just an extreme amount of fires and, and shootings and stuff like that. What's one of the most traumatic for you experiences you remember from that time frame? You know what, the most traumatic, it's weird. I try to explain to people, how can I go to 200 shootings and it doesn't affect me? I really don't know. And then why did this one affect me? And everyone will say, well, because you related, you this and that. And I tell people, well, I actually think God let it affect me for a reason. I need to sort through this as I'm going through it. But the ones that, that truly hurt me was we got to know a shop owner, you know, the liquor store, right? Because there's a liquor store 
store in every corner in West Oakland. But there's a great family from Yemen that was there, and we loved them. We'd go hang out with them, talk, joke, you know, and which people may say are inappropriate jokes at the time. But when you get to know someone, we your joke about being a white guy in West Oakland, the them from Yemen, yeah, you know, and my my brother. So we had fun. Well, one day we get a call there, and he was shot dead. But I also knew he carried a shotgun behind the counter and he was able to pop a shot off on the guy who shot him. So we showed up and my friend who's the shop owner was laying dead on the ground. And I looked at him. I knew he was dead. And then I had to go treat the guy who shot him. And that was hard because the family was screaming and yelling for me to go help their dad who there was no help. And here I am. They're witnessing me help this person who we all feel didn't deserve help. And trust me. I didn't want to help him. There wasn't a part of me that wanted to help him, but I was called to help him because my job was not to judge. My job was to show up and treat. And that was a really difficult one because there's just so many layers of trauma trying to explain this family that I was friends with why I wouldn't save their dad, but now I'm saving the guy who killed him. And that, that one really stuck with me. Another one that stuck with me was a little girl who was, we were playing basketball behind the firehouse and she's hit by a car down the street by a car doing 80. Her sister comes to the firehouse and says, my sister being hit by a car. So we run down there and I'm holding her and, and she's already dead. Well, her mom, I could hear her mom coming up and, you know, a hundred feet out, 20 feet out. And I, I'm just hearing her heart break and her world end in real time was rough. And all I could think about was getting the yellow blanket over this little girl the best I could because I didn't want the mom's last memory to be what I was looking at. Yes. Right. And what crushed me was sitting there in the middle of the street with her in San Pablo Boulevard and 34th Street in West Oakland and being with her mom and watching her mom's heart broken. But I was also a faithless man at the time. And this one sticks to me as pain and beauty because I just met a really cute nursing student who uh, I believe you met not too long. This was 20 plus years ago. Who's my wife, Christy now. And I remember she asked me, she said, how was your day at work? The day after I got off and I said, it was rough. We had a little girl that was hit by a car and she's killed and the mom was there. And it was the first time I'd ever let the filter come off because people asked me, how's the job? I was good. You go to fires? Yeah. You have a shooting? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't tell them anything. But something out of Christy, my wife, my future wife, wanted it was coming out and I wanted to tell her what happened. So I did. And she started crying. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. And I felt I messed up. And she's all, no, I'm not crying about that. She's all, the little girl's with Jesus. I'm crying for you and the mom and the hurt that you went through. But I know God's going to use this hurt to shape you into something better. And I'm an atheist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, I'm, and she asked me, she's like, do you believe in Jesus? And I told her, I, I don't, but I really don't have an answer anymore because he was using all these really horrible things to call me to him, you know? And so that was a memorable one that was both painful, but also a turnaround in my life too. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a bigger tube of four for him to get different ones of his attention, okay? Oh, yeah. I'm reminded of the verse from Genesis chapter 50, 20, which I refer to a lot. It says, what you meant for evil, I'm going to use for good, and I'm going right. to use it for good to save lives. Right. He used the evil of that moment where you're holding that limpless, that right. lost, you know, yeah. dead child. You're hearing that mother's pain. 
but he's using it to this very day in your life to make a difference in the lives of others. As you said, then you couldn't see that. I mean, mm-hmm. you weren't in the light to see it. You right. were set in the middle of darkness. Right. It makes sense that you didn't see it. Well, okay. no, it it's the truth because that, that's what I tell people. Like, I'm not a street preacher, and I'm not, I know that's not the way this podcast is about, but if I just run into someone who's dealing with trauma and I know their eyes haven't been opened up to the scripture and they haven't understand you, if I go in there and I actually start reciting the verses to them and then backing up with what they mean, they're hearing blah, 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 blah. So, so what I do then is I show up and because God tells me to love them, that he loves me so much, I need to love on these people. It's his commandment to me. So what do I do? I don't care what they identify with, where they are in their part of life. I want to show them that there's help for them. And, and if the help is a total non-Christian center, I'm taking them there, okay, and stuff, because that's what I've been called to do while praying for their eternity, because exactly. that's what it's about for me. So I, and the other thing is I never want to put pressure on anyone. I just don't want to put pressure on them because I really didn't like Christians much because a lot of pressure was put on me because all I ever heard was Jason was going to hell from Christians, be honest with you. And that didn't make me want to grow in Christ. What that did is it pushed me away. But once people started investing their time in me, that's when I actually started hearing the gospel. It made sense. And then when I had a near-death experience in a fire and I realized I don't want to die separated, that that story became truth and reality. And then I was able to grow in faith, you know? And so I don't want to ever put pressure on people because I can't convert anyone or change them. But I also want to show them how I was fixed and I didn't fix yep. myself. Because what I tell people is I was the rescuer that had no clue how to save myself, even though I was trying. And it was rough. Yes, yes. And I I think to the idea when you're talking about you're not going to throw scriptures at them. I love God's word. I believe in it with all my heart. There are times it doesn't need to be shared. Mm -hmm. There's something better we can share, and that's our hearts. That's the love of Christ through us to others, to where their ears are ready to hear. It says in the scripture, for those who will hear. And uh, there are times it's not going to happen. I agree. So if I came with your house, we had a group of, you know, elders in the church that are going to train me up. Oh, we're going to talk scripture all day and all night make sure we understand it, and then we're going to go deeper and make sure we back it up with scripture and we understand the overall story that the that God was breathing out through or the prophets is. But if I bring that to someone who doesn't have any eyes, like it's going to freak them out. Let's it's be real. A foreign language that they cannot right. understand. They're right. just not enlightened to that point. Well, that's why when I wrote my book, I did get pushback from churches because there's curse words in it. There really are. Because you ever been in a firehouse full of men, okay? And I was a non-Christian at the time, right? Now, I wasn't glorifying it doing that, but I wanted to show people the truth. The way I write and deal with stuff now is I show, no one learns from my successes. They really don't. I don't even learn from my successes. I learn from my failures. I really do. I have never learned anything except it's on a lazy boy chair, except it's really nice to sit in a lazy boy, right? Where I learned was when I was on scene of a hard fire and struggling and where I failed and then the learning happened. Oh, I'll tell you, I'd rather set the bar high and miss it than low and hit it. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I, I don't have it committed to memory, but the man in the arena, it's the guy who's out there trying, the guy whose face is marred 
by dust and dirt and tears are flowing down. He's the winner regardless of the score at the end. Right. And we've got to be willing to give ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves to others and all of that. Right. A little bit ago, you were talking about you being the rescuer as far as being there with folks and for folks. Yes. I'm going to guess that's a rescuer with a small R. Yes. Whereas your book is a rescuer with a capital R. And I get it as far as the grammar goes. Yeah. But I think there's probably greater symbolism to that than just small and large. Well, what what it is, is, you know, so many people are thinking the rescuer, like, who's the rescuer? Well, yeah, I've been called to physically use my body and gifts and abilities to put out fires, pull people, do all that kind of stuff. But I had no idea how to rescue myself. So who is my true rescuer? Christ Jesus is the true rescuer. Who's the one ultimately rescuing me? But then people will say, well, Christy was the rescuer. And she'll even tell you, she's like, no, I brought Jesus. Jesus to me because you love this. Christy actually was going to break up with me two weeks in. She tells me, she's like, Jason, I'm in love with you, but if you don't come to church with me, I'm going to break up with you. And I never had a woman lover. And I don't get me wrong, my wife's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, but it's what was shining out of her that made me want more. So when she did that, she never said you had to become a Christian. She never did that. She said, you have to come to church with me or I'm going to break up. So later on, I asked her, I said, babe, why did you say I need to come to church with you? She's like, honey, you're an eight alarm fire. And I was a single resource. I need the body of Christ. I'm like, I was a Christian. So, so she brought me to church. And that's where I heard the gospel message. And it made sense because the problem being growing up and in school and different things, I always heard this, Jason, you can be whatever you want to be. You can become whatever you want to become if you work hard enough, right? Well, check this out. I wanted everyone I responded to to live, but they're dying. So I was obviously failing. I wasn't working hard enough. Well, when we tell people you can be whatever you want to be, we're telling them they're God. People were telling me I was God and I was the worst God on the face of the earth. And we buy into that. We buy into that. And I tell people, please hear me out. I'm not giving anyone a hall pass to stop working. But what I say is if you work hard enough and it's within God's will, you can become that. And and so when I became a Christian, all these failures I had, I'm like, okay, it's not on me anymore because the world puts it on my shoulders. Jesus took it off my shoulders, right? The world says, Jason, you can do whatever you want to do. Well, I want my parents to still be together. I don't want my dad to abuse me. I don't want all that stuff. Well, guess what? <laughs> it was taken off my shoulders. It truly was taken on my shoulders. And that's where I found comfort, you know, and you know, I'm not citing verses here on purpose, but I could pull every verse out of the Bible that I just pulled from. And I could explain to you why it's true, because I walked in the dark for 28 years. And when I'm in the light, that's where the good and the last thing I'm going to interject there to listeners, wherever that they're walking. I don't want to say that you're going to do something and God's going to reward you. It's not that. What I say is when you're in the light, there's things called fruit over there. It's so sweet. It's so good. It's a wonderful place to be. When you're in the dark, you're in hell, and there's nothing good there. There is a hell on earth that walk in alone, and it's horrible. And that's why I tell people in the lights where the good stuff is, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. That fits wonderfully. I got to thinking as you were sharing of how she told you you were going to have to go to church with her. Yeah. I served a better part of two years in Germany in the Army back in the early 70s. My wife and I got married while I was over there. I came home, we got married, I went back. She came over when I was able to get out of the Army, got discharged, came home. The second Sunday we were 
home, she just looked at me and said, I'm going to church. Wow. You can go or not go. I wanted to be with her badly enough. Wow. I didn't necessarily want to go to church, right. but I wanted to be with her. 35 years of ministry is where that led, and I've let her know more than once. It was her fault. It's her okay. fault. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So any complaints on my ministry, I would remind her of that. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. When did you recall first personally dialing 911 for your own rescue? You're going to love this, okay? And I know I'm a talkative guy, so I'll, I'll, I'll speed this one up. So I was being, one night, I had just a bunch of rough calls of the firehouse deaths. A bunch of people died right in a row, and it was troubling. And I went home, and I was just feeling, I was having nightmares, night sweats, attacks. My gut was in wrenches, and I was in a bad place. And I just remember there's a church down the street from my house within walking distance. I said, they're always smiling. They're always good. I need to go to church. I'm thinking, where is this coming from? Because I was anti-church, right? So the next morning, being a surfer from California, I put on my best surfing clothes, you know, and I, I put on my best pair of sandals, and I walk up to that church. And as I'm ready to walk up, and I'm smiling and everything, there's two guys standing at the doors, and they're in suit and ties. They said, you can't come in here. And it's so like jokingly said, I didn't realize this church had bouncers. And it was one of the truest statements I read because they were bouncers. Those two guys said, you can't come in here and leave. Well, check this out. I will never toot my horn and talk about the rescues, but I have two medals of valors at that point given to me from Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. I work in the busiest firehouse in West California, but I'm not allowed to come to your church because the way I'm dressed, well, my whole life I was told I wasn't good enough because as a kid growing up poor, I never had the right clothes and all the other kids made front of me. I had, a, I had a badge in my wallet, but I welted up in tears and I walked away and it was a confirmation how much I hated church people. I know you're thinking, wait, that was your draw to Christ? Hear, hear me out on this. So I go home and my suicide plan is in place. I'm killing myself. I'm done because not even this church could help that me. That was the final straw. That was, that that was it. It was like, and this, I don't want to go too far. It was not a feeling of relief. It was a feeling like, okay, this is where I'm at finally. You know, like I've been chased. I'm done chasing. I'm, I'm done. And it was not relief, it was sadness, but my biggest thing was, even when I was writing my suicide note, my biggest concern was, I didn't want to be a bad memory for an EMS responder, so you weren't going to find my body being a surfer, I had a whole plan out there and everything. And 15 seconds before I was ready to pull out of my driveway and head off to this beach in Northern California and stuff and enact the plan, I got a call from a San Francisco firefighter says, I'm coming over. I'm like, no, you're not, dude. Don't come over. I'm going serving. He's like, oh, bro, come on over. And he's one of those guys you can't say no to. So he shows up to my house, maybe an Oakland fireman. He's across the bay. He's in the big city where they get all the glory. We get all the fires. <laughs> he looks me in the eyes and as a first responder, we never stop assessing. We're always trying to figure out how is this person? Where are they? What's going on? Is it, is it a heart attack? Is it, a, is it this? And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. He's like, no, you're not going to surf and come have breakfast with me. So a church turned me away and a guy to this day who is not a Christian saved my life. And by taking me to breakfast and hanging out with me, something changed. And I just put everything away and the suicide plan was over. And that's when I started realizing there's something greater. And God started using things like we went to a house where an old man was had passed away. And I had to tell his wife, they'd been married for 70 years. And I had to tell her her husband was dead. And as I went up to tell her, I'd never felt this. I was getting sad. 
and I tell her, I said, your husband's, and she, she could see, and she puts down this big old Bible she carries, and she puts it down. Mind you, she had just lost her husband of seven years, and she goes, child, it's okay, he's with Jesus, and she hugged me. Think about this for a minute, Christian, okay? This woman loses her everything of seven years. The person she became one with, her partner in life, it should be all about her in this time of mourning. She put down that Bible and made it about me. If that's not a true example of grace here on earth, I don't know what it is. At the moment, I didn't know what it was, but I recognize the Bible, I recognize her cross, and I recognize it was her Christianity that was making her do that because I was an idiot. I know what Christians were and stuff. And that's when it all started changing and how God just used that, you know? It's crazy how the doors can shut and the hearts can open elsewhere. It's just, you know, I can't imagine walking up to the doors of a church for any reason being told I can't enter. Yeah. Whether it's because of my clothes, my color, my age, mm-hmm. that list goes on and on. Uh, well, yeah. well, real quickly, and I don't want anyone angry at that story. And if some people have, I said, check out this. If I based every Christian I met post that on those two jerks, you know, it's almost be like a racism against Christianity because I had a bad experience with two people now and there. And I know that's that's a silly level of way to look at it. But what I tell people is I use that experience now and I hold it up as a mirror and I look at myself and it says, Jason, are you doing anything that's pushing people away from the beauty of our faith? And it could be anything as simple as say like a church says, Jason, you can't come and speak here unless you wear a suit and tie. Well, I think that's stupid, but it's actually stupid of me to think that that's stupid because they asked me to put it on. And if I realize that's what they want, I'm going to do it. Vice versa, if someone shows up my church dressed out there, so be it. So I use it as an example also to make sure I'm doing things right as opposed to just beating those guys up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's not going to help anything. So what was your first, and maybe you just shared it, what was your first experience with the capital R Rescuer? That moment where you knew that you knew that you knew. I knew, yeah, I got that. I want to move forward. With I have this. that spot. So, given the gospel, I heard it and it started making sense. You know, knowing that I was doing good things, but where was that goodness coming from? It was a self centered doing it, right? Because I was doing it to try to make myself feel better as opposed to thanking God for giving me the abilities to help other people and He wants me to use it. So, I heard that. Then we went to a fire and I got trapped inside of a fire and it was a high rise and and we were down on the ground floor, but I went in alone to search for the fire with no hose line. And I didn't realize at the time it was an old photo processing shop and there was chemicals on the ground and they all lit up and I was trapped and my legs were starting to burn. Even though it wasn't feel major heat, but it was more chemicals burning and stuff. I realized at that moment I was alone and when I was calling for help, no one was answering and the crews didn't come in to get me because I had no radio on me. I was deep in this building and we're taught to never stop. You know, we have to do what it takes to out. I had nowhere to get out. And all I realized at that true moment, I didn't want to die alone and feel the eternal pain and the separation just became reality at that time. And it was like a shock thing. And I came out of that fire and I remember I go home and Christy and I were dating at the time. So I go by her house and I told her, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian. I love this about my wife. She's like, yeah, no, whatever. I already knew that. <laughs> there was like, there was no wah over Like, she's like, yeah, dude, let's go have breakfast now. You know? And, so, and I'm like, I almost died last night and now I've come to Christ. My attorney's saving you. Go, duh. She's like, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> you know, she, I knew her God. She's like, I already saw God working in you. You know, and that's the beauty of my, my wife is how strong and awesome she is. Yeah, as a yeah. Christian baby. Yeah. And that's why it's called a journey. And that's the rescue yes. right there. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Changing gears just a little bit. Let's go back in your life. Let's say your mom 
is sitting across the table from you right now. What would you say to her? You know, it's a tough place because my parents are both still alive. And my mom, we have a relationship is what I say. But we've never really had a bond, if you will. So when she comes to my house, she'll say, well, you know, she'll tell my sons, you know, if you become a Buddhist, you'll become a better Christian. So theologically, she's out here, but that's my mom at the end of the day. I'm praying for her to come to Christ. So what I just tell my parents is, I love you, and I'm sorry for the hurt I caused in your lives. I'm not going to, I used to say, gosh darn you, excuse my language, damn you guys for what you did to me, excuse my language, but it's truly, it's how I gotcha. felt like even stronger, gotcha. damn you. But now what I go is, damn me for my response to the way you treated me, because as a Christian now, I shouldn't expect anything more from people. I really shouldn't, but my response needs to be better. So I would say sorry to my parents from my part of the hurt, because I did take many years of the hurt and I twisted it around and I was pretty mean to them. I really was. So I would say sorry for my part of the hurt. My next question was going to be the same one with your dad across the table, and I'm going to guess you just answered that as well. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because now having kids, you know, and we've adopted kids, and it's just tough for them not to have the grandparents there from my side. But here's a beautiful thing. Not too long ago, I messed up with our 15-year-old, and I overreacted on something I shouldn't. I think a lot of dads and moms out there can understand we do that. Yeah, we did it, and my job is to, you know, I made him feel guilty, and it's my job to teach, not cause guilt in a child. It's correct, not cause guilt. And so after the fact, I could realize, like, you did something very wrong because I felt that, quote, piece of my dad coming at me. So I walked into my child's room, and I said, son, I said, I'm really sorry I didn't handle that right. Check this out. I get teary just thinking about it. He's all, dad you didn't have the same type of dad I did, so I'm not going to hold it. It's okay. And I'm like, I almost died right there on the spot, you know, because he understands the way I was raised because he read my book and he knows the stories and stuff. And he, it was like my son even give me grace to this day saying, I'm sorry. So, so with, with my, my dad and everything, it's the same thing. I'm sorry for my part of the pain. And I'm also sorry if me using some of the stories of our past hurt you. That wasn't my intentions. My intentions was to say there's other hurt people out there and I just wanted to bond with yeah. them. So any pain that he felt from that, that's my, that's the, been the biggest struggle with my faith wise is I don't want to hurt my parents, you know, and I praise God that my parents are here on earth, but if they weren't, it would have been a lot easier to write the book because I, I had to, what you yeah. Mean. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. You want to protect their hearts I wanna, as yeah, well. Yeah. It's not about bashing them to build yourself right. up. And the more I grow in Christ, it just becomes that much more important to me, you know, and in these past two years, since I've become a dumb fireman who's now a world-recognized author, his books are selling in Australia and all around the world, it's not about the fame has changed me. It's about, I realize I don't want my, what God's given me to harm anyone either, including my own family. Yeah. yeah. Jason, as you know, the title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What do those four words mean to you? You know what they mean to me is faith in your recovery is, first off, my prayer is people will understand how weak they are and that they're going to fail. And that if they get others around them, those people are also going to fail. We're all, we can all hold so much until we break down because we're weak. But when we have faith in Christ that he's going to walk us through the recovery and bring us through the end because we're not finished yet. If you're listening to this and you're breathing, he ain't done with you. And there's Jason the fire. He ain't done with you yet. So stay faithful and let him guide you through the recovery. I'm not giving myself or anyone else a license to purposely quit. But understand this, quitting and failing are different. If you quit, 
I'll come alongside you and motivate you. If you fail, Christ is going to pick you up and it's his strength that's going to carry you on to the end. So I want people to have faith in Christ. They go through their recovery and understand that old you is still there. Yes. You're becoming more like him and you're not going to become exactly the way he wants you to be until the day you meet life. him. Right, until you meet him in glory. So stay faithful in your recovery and lean on his strength to bring you through. And last thing is also he's going to put people in your life. That's called the body of Christ. Yes. Make yes. sure that you also have the body of Christ around you and, and faith-based people help you recover with whatever it is you're recovering from. As tried as it might be, failure is not final. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, just kind of a last question mm-hmm. here. When your life on this earth is over and you get the last call, okay, that moment where you breathe your last breath, how do you want to be remembered? Husband of, father of author of, former firefighter, other. Other. Which would be? I don't want to be remembered. What my prayer is that when I sit there in front of God, that I can say, I handled the people you put in front of me the way that you wanted me to handle them, and that I glorified you out of it, and that that helped them along their way. I don't, I don't, I don't even, like everyone who knows me. I don't want a gravestone. I, I just want to go, be gone. I just, because my, I'm just an ambassador here on this earth for a short time from heaven, just wandering through blessed to be, you know, I won the lottery of Christians. I landed in America. It's a pretty good place to be a Christian, Absolutely. but yes, I'm an American, but more than anything, I'm an ambassador of heaven. And when I'm gone, I want to report back to my boss who is God and say, I gave it my best. And my truth is, I really don't care any memories left of me whatsoever. Awesome. Awesome. Jason, is there anything you'd like to close with here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, anyone that's out there, first off, I'm the world's worst salesman. I tell people that because I don't like self-promoting. But what I do tell people is if you read my book, understand each story there is real. Each pain is real. Each struggle is real. And I left it that way. And I purposely put my email address in there. So if anyone is ever struggling, they need to reach out. I can't fix you or help you all the way through, but I can point you in the right direction. That's what I like to tell people. If they listen to this and something struck a chord with them, my email's in the back cover my book send me an email because i do respond to every single one of them go ahead and give them your email if you want to do that oh yeah well what, what i do is because it's it, it's through rescuerbook.com is the way to go through because i'll be honest i can't remember that email address all i know is i answer on my phone and it says home email address but on it, rescuerbook.com is where they can get all that information and stuff okay. and it'll show there yeah well yeah. listen jason thank you for your time we so appreciate you joining us here today how long are you going to be around here before you head back home we're going to be flying home saturday morning so and i've been invited to so many cool things there's prayer breakfasts there's, i'm actually having to figure out which one i'm going to go to i was just up in the command center with the indianapolis fire department chiefs and all that stuff so um a lot of stuff going on but it, it, i'll be here for another day or two yeah well thanks for coming in i know that it's been a treat for you to be here at fdic you've made it a treat for all of us we appreciate your heart your story 
being so genuine and that uh, you know that golden desire to share Christ with those who don't have him yet right I like to be reminded of the word yet because I don't want to give up on anybody one breath before their last one okay and obviously you don't either you wouldn't have been in the profession you were in right and you followed through with that with your faith thank you for your time your goodness we just pray God's closeness for you and your family be blessed well I know Amen. I know I'm the guest here and thank you for that prayer and then that blessing but I'm gonna throw it back to you thank you so much for all you do seriously you're touching so many lives including mine and you're a total blessing to so many so I'd like to encourage you. you the same to keep on keep it on brother amen God bless all right